Welcome to Grow Opportunity, the podcast, featuring conversations with thought leaders and experts in the Canadian cannabis industry. This podcast is brought to you by Emerald Harvest, premium hydroponic nutrients for simple, easy success. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Grow Opportunities podcast. I'm your host, Marilyn de Guzman. In this episode, we're going to talk about a topic that's near and dear to many in the cannabis community, and that's craft cannabis. Over the past year, we have seen a significant increase in the number of microcultivation licenses issued by Health Canada, opening up lots of opportunities for the sought-after craft cannabis to enter the legal marketplace. Can't wait to talk to our guests today about the prospects of craft cultivation and craft cannabis products and the role this sector will play in the progression of the Canadian cannabis industry. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce my guests today. First up is Jonathan Wilson. Jonathan is the Chief Operating Officer of Crystal Cure. Crystal Cure is a licensed producer of craft cannabis based in New Brunswick. Hello, Jonathan. Hi, Mary Lynn. Nice to hear from you. Great to be on the podcast. Welcome. And next, we have Chad Hayson. Chad is the Vice President of Sales and Marketing for Stigma Grow, a licensed cannabis cultivation and processing company based in Red Deer, Alberta. Welcome, Chad. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. I think we can start up our discussion by having Jonathan and Chad talk about a little bit about your companies and what you're up to these days. Uh, Jonathan, we can start with you. Sure, Mary Lynn. So I work for a company named Crystal Cure Incorporated. We go by just Crystal Cure and most of the time we are a standard licensed producer. So we are not a micro cultivator, but we do consider ourselves a craft producer is what we call because currently in our business phase, we are smaller, much smaller than the majority of micros across the country, I would say. So we're definitely in the startup phase. We possess our cultivation license. We have our processing license, our medical sales license, and we received uh, earlier in 2020, uh, September of 2020, our recreational sales license. So now we have our products out in the market in our home province of New Brunswick. We farm our own, we create our own living soil here, certified organic living soil, handcrafted on our property. That's what we farm in. It's an absolutely beautiful uh, product that we now sell on retail as well for home growers across the country. But that's truly special to us. We have an inventory of a million worms on site that we do. So we are truly farming craft cannabis. We are very small. Our plan is to expand over the next couple of years. We're building a 110,000 square foot facility in Shediac Cape, New Brunswick, right? Uh, on the ocean too, in a beautiful part of the country and a beautiful part of the province. And our plans are to to do processing, uh, premium flour uh, pre-rolls. That's what our focus is on right now is, is premium handcrafted flour. We're only using organic methods. We do not use any synthetics of, of any kind in the production of our cannabis. So again, the living soil giving all those beautiful nutrients that our plants need. That's the way we feel is the, is the best for our genetics to be grown in this medium. We know there's many different ways to approach this business and, and we're all for seeing a whole bunch of different variety out on the market. But our whole claim to fame is that we say we go from soil to soul uh, in a business where a lot of people go from seed to sale. We go two steps further. We take it all the way back to the soil because any farmer will tell you that it starts with great soil. And that's not only for cannabis, it's for a number of things. And then also we have all the way to soul because we really focus on that whole holistic part of things, whether it's a recreational product that I don't necessarily agree with that term per se, because a lot of people are using it as a medicine one way or another. And craft cannabis is, is something that is really paying close attention to, to things like that, where people are starting to get interested in, in things more than cannabinoids and, and talking about terpenes and entourage effects and, and all these things we hear about too. And, and I know, uh, our other guest, uh, Chad, they're seeing the same thing out west, uh, this kind of revolution coming along, and, and we want to be part of that. 
we're the first craft producer to have flour on the market in New Brunswick, which is an absolutely incredible thing because it's two years after legalization. And we just got onto the market on December 24th of 2020. So happy Christmas Eve to us. Mm -hmm. uh, but we really want to change that. And we want to see the number of smaller producers grow because we work closely with micro cultivators as well to bring their flour to market under a program we have called the Farmer Series. So we work side by side with micro cultivators in the area, help them um, get cultivate their, their crop. We purchase it all and then bring it to market, really sharing that story of the farm itself, not just branding it as Crystal Cure and, and taking all the credit, but really telling the, stoil, uh, the story of the small farm. And that's the way we stay connected with our with our micros as we scale up our business. Right. And Chad, I know you're also not a micro license holder. You're you're a licensed producer, but you do work with craft producers. Could you could you tell us a bit more about your company? Of course. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, first of all, Jonathan, that that was very interesting and unique. It's nice to hear uh, stories. Uh, both the shared successes and struggles and the way you want to kind of approach the industry um, with some differentiators. And you certainly nailed some there. So that was, that was super interesting. As well, uh, as an LP that has a bunch of first-to-market products um, across Canada, being a first-to-market in any province or any category is a huge accomplishment. Um, you're basically paving the way or building the plane um, while you fly it. So uh, kudos to you on that as well. Um, yes, to your point, Marilyn, we are not a uh, micro cultivator, um, but we do focus, uh, to Jonathan's point earlier, on craft cannabis. So again, we don't deal in these huge warehouses of hundreds of thousands of square feet pumping out the same strain. In fact, most of our cannabis that we grow in Red Deer um, feeds our extracts pillar. So we are one of the few processors in Canada um, that does hydrocarbon processing, specifically BHO. Uh, so as a, a butane processor, we're able to provide live resin products and a lot of the first to market live resin products that you're seeing across Canada. Um, and while there are others that do CO2 um, and solventless press, uh, we are still one of the leaders um, in this hydrocarbon uh, butane processing. So super excited to be doing that. That's sort of what our brand revolves around. And to your point, uh, we are also a third party processor. So we work with those looking to expand their own list of SKUs um, if they're able to provide high quality cannabis and they want to turn it into an extract uh, that maintains the purity of those strains. Well, BHO is one of the few that can provide that true live resin full spectrum. Uh, and when you're dealing with these smaller batches, uh, no craft cannabis farmer wants to lose anything that they created. Uh, those are truly beautiful plants boasting a, a lot of interesting um, cannabinoid and terpene profiles. So yeah, we are an excellent fit uh, for those focused on the small batch. Um, as well, to, to echo Jonathan's long list of licenses, over the last few years, we've pretty much equipped ourselves to do everything that you can um, within both the dry flower and concentrate space. Um, as I mentioned, we're able to do that for third-party partners across Canada and have done so for a lot of the prominent uh, brands currently offering, you know, shatter, butter, batters, caviars, uh, and, and sugars um, that uh, sector of the marketplace is really just a small fraction of what we believe it will be. And we really like the idea of this lot of selection, you know, small batch type uh, 
grown at home by people like Jonathan and then made available, you know, right in that province. And, and we are a good fit for those types of partnerships. Um, generally speaking, we grow uh, strains that feed into either our pre-rolls or into the extracts that we pump out. And we also work with partners all around Canada um, to further feed our needs for biomass. That's about us, us in a nutshell. That's great. Uh, I think this to set the stage for our uh, discussion and for those listeners out there who's maybe, you know, not has not has has not been in the cannabis community or cannabis industry for a long time, but is really interested to get to know um, this industry. Can you can you um, just briefly talk about how this product uh, class is becomes classified as craft as opposed to just a regular cannabis product? Uh, well, I'm, I, I will let Jonathan speak a little bit more to this, but uh, to me, it's it's very difficult um, to categorize anything in this industry as anything. Um, to be perfectly honest, uh, when we started off in this industry, everybody defined themselves as craft cannabis. Right. Uh, but what I think true craft cannabis is defined by the time and attention that you can pay to each plant. Um, again, anything unique that you can bring to the process, uh, to Jonathan's points about their focus on the soil, uh, anything you can do throughout the life of the plant uh, where perhaps you didn't try to cut corners for efficiency's sake or to satisfy uh, a large group of shareholders, um, we find cr a craft cannabis approaches much more exactly that, a craft, um, uh, artists growing cannabis that they are truly passionate about. And while the, the volume might not be there, um, they certainly make up for it by being able to be a lot more uh, hands-on, pay a lot more attention and, and spend a lot more due diligence in ensuring that their product is something unique, is something special. Uh, that's how I would define craft cannabis. Yeah, I, I think Chad hit on a number of things that I would I would say for sure. I align exactly with that whole thing. And, you know, some if you ask six people or seven people what their definition of craft is going to be, you're going to get seven answers back because to mm -hmm. Chad's point, it's never been defined, especially in the craft industry. Now we see that uh, the Ontario Cannabis Store uh, recently made some steps in there, which I'm sure we'll talk about uh, later on with something that kind of is trying to define that craft area. And they have some parameters set out and some you can agree with and some you can't, but at least it's a step in the right direction. But for me, even, you know, my background was in uh, beverage alcohol before getting into cannabis. And I was uh, in the category management side of the business when the whole beer uh, craft beer revolution began to see the exponential growth that's been there and, and to tour so many of those facilities to see what they're doing and that it's it's way more hands-on but you know the way that that Chad said it is that that care and the attention that's there uh, regardless of your methods I don't want to tell someone that their way of doing something is not craft and then say that mine or our team's is that just doesn't seem right um, and it doesn't seem like it's embracing the diversity of, of the crafts that are out there but that that combination of art and science is for us is where if we have an opportunity to do something that's more hands-on with some care and attention uh, that's still profitable for us of course I think that craft is not an excuse to be unprofitable or have prices that are through the roof I think you still have to be a traditional consumer packaged good customer or big company in those regards but you have to be even more creative with it because you are taking more time to to craft those products that you're producing whether it's uh, extracts whether it's pre-rolls whole flowers uh, oils you name it so i uh, that's all i can add to what chad said because i'm totally aligned with what he mentioned right and that's an interesting point because um it, it sounds like it's more of a subjective definition i guess in your opinion does the industry need sort of a some form of a standard where to basically qualify um a product as craft 
cannabis because basically right now you anybody can claim their stuff is craft right uh what are your thoughts in terms of the advantages and disadvantages of um competing um effectively with the big guys in this industry um so you know there's there's many advantages and disadvantages of of craft absolutely and especially for smaller uh producers i mean the the obvious difference is of course the scale your production scale and managing to to create a quality product okay that's that's hard enough as it is, but to do it in a way that you can uh, market your product effectively, that you can form those relationships, whether it's the, the provincial boards or the private retailers or wholesalers or, or medical partners, whatever business you're in, that's a tough game. That's uh, that's usually dominated by the large players. Again, coming from beverage alcohol, I, I witnessed that, whether it was wine, spirits or, or beer, the large, the large producers are the ones with the large budgets and they command the market share. But we've seen that trend uh, where customers are starting to look for something different and are looking for that transparency uh, with their companies. And, and when I was looking at uh, Stigma Grow um, into their website, which I absolutely love, I read one of their kind of key pillars is that whole transparency. They're trying to build a brand, much as we are, and trying to get people to associate with your brand because we can do that as smaller producers and, and craft producers. Um, we do like a definition, but also, as I mentioned, as, as many people are going to try and uh, create an objective system of what is craft and you have to hang dry or you have to use this type of press or, yeah, you can do that. But again, it's, it's what the customer feels and, and which one they think is craft and which craft they associate with. Um, so by using these bigger pillars such as transparency and, and humility, that's what's really we preach at Crystal Cure, we're trying to go out and build our brand that way very organically, sustainably, the same way that we farm our cannabis, because we know we don't have the dollars or the volume or the sales representation maybe necessary that the other bigger firms do. But I do truly believe there's a place in the market for large producers, small producers, micro, etc. It's all about finding out what your market is, what your value proposition is bringing something unique to the table and some categories are going to be more dominated by others and, and maybe the future of flour resides with with the craft producers and maybe the the, the future of extracts you know goes with uh, the craft producers We're, we don't know yet we have to see and customers are going to tell us but uh, as far as the advantages the the ability to pivot is one that we really like due to our size because this industry is is so young and is evolving and, and some would say devolving in other ways. I would say evolving. I love where we're going, but we get to take advantage of some of those trends that maybe a bigger ship in the harbor, uh, to use an East Coast reference, takes a little bit more time to, to turn around uh, where we can really pivot and go as, as we like and, and take advantage of, of, of kind of more modern upcoming trends. So that would be the biggest one that I would see as an advantage for a craft producer and, and disadvantage is exactly that is the is your size and you might be nimble, but you don't have the, the buying power or the maybe the staying power of some of the bigger brands uh, would have as well. Right. And Chad, can you can you uh, maybe expound on Jonathan's uh, point there, you know, taking Stigma Grow as an example where as a craft producer, I think one of the things that, that they bring to the market is the story behind the product. Can you can you talk about your approach in that aspect of things? I would agree. Um, I think brand is going to start differentiating people uh, within within a market where, unfortunately, it's been a race to the bottom in almost every category from a pricing standpoint. Which, uh, from the original advantage disadvantage conversation, obviously the smaller uh, cr true craft as per our definition in, in this interview uh, growers um, they're not able to 
to embrace the or, or leverage the economies of scale that some of these mass producers, certainly the, the first to markets uh, in the dry flower, have been, been able to do. Um, but having said that, again, I agree with Jonathan. Uh, cannabis is a really personal thing. Um, you know, it's one of the few products, I think the only product on earth that interacts with our cannabinoid system. So the intricacies and, and the unique preferences of each human being uh, really do allow for a large venue of players. Um, and then I really appreciate working with the provinces that are really just allowing the free market to determine uh, who survives. So look, if a lot of the provinces, the way that it's set up, there's no risk for them to take in more product. The risk lies uh, in the LP selling that product to the province and then not having the stores buy it or having the stores buy it and it not selling through and not rebuying. So I really like some of the, the province's approach to allowing everyone through the doors, you know, within reason as quickly as they can uh, and then allowing uh, the free market to determine. When it comes to that, the only barrier I find uh, for craft cannabis and, and micro cultivators in that is the price point. Um, mm. I've, I've been a consumer for a long time. I have no time for poor quality. Um, and as a grown man with uh, a reasonable income, I don't mind spending a little bit more. Uh, but having said that, you got to get the retailers to buy into that. A lot of the small retailers only have a certain budget, you know, so they themselves need to to go for something that's in large demand if it's uh, part of a lottery system so that they know that they get it uh, and don't risk not getting things. So the disadvantages to to the craft cannabis sector um, really are that the price point and being able to get your products to market. And I, I truly believe that all of those challenges can be fixed uh, by the regulators, by the provincial bodies. Um, uh, we all got in this industry, admittedly, to eliminate the black, uh, the, the black market or the, the legacy market. But while we've seen the products um, get there from the quality side, we now need to be able to compete on price um, and availability and convenience. And there are a few steps still to be made uh, for our industry to, to Jonathan's po point. I do believe we are evolving in the right direction for that. And, and that will help put these craft cannabis producers uh, and small batch producers uh, on, a, on an equal playing field. Let's talk about price point. Um, when we talk about the, the industry being able to eventually uh, get rid of the black market, um, they need to compete both both in the quality standpoint and the price points. So the price point has been decreasing, um, and some of the companies, LPs have been releasing brands that are more competitively priced with the illicit market. So what are the things that we that needs to happen from the regulatory standpoint that will open up these opportunities so that those price point challenges are are being addressed? Brother, this is um, something we're, I'm super passionate about. I, I think anyone in, in the industry uh, is. There's plenty that can be done. Uh, simply put, I would love cannabis to be treated the same as the other product categories um, in each provincial sort of uh, governing body, uh, liquor, uh, gambling, stuff like that. Treating cannabis users as adults, uh, as responsible parents, you know, as people that... Uh, uh, respond to advertising the way we do for anything else. Um, a lot of the advertising rules do less to protect children and a lot more to keep adult consumers ignorant. Uh, we're two years in and there's still some very basic terms um, that people don't understand. 
Uh, whereas everyone knows what a rum or a vodka or a tequila or a beer is. Um, you try talking to people about different extra extracts or different percentages or, or, or terminology about cannabis and the education really suffers uh, behind frosted glass and inability to put stuff up on walls. Um, again, a, a lot of this I think is fear-based so that the education and, and the marketing and, and being allowed to just be out in the open as a re responsible product um, that would be great. The other one is price. You said that LPs have done a good job of coming to the table with some competitive pricing, but I'm going to go ahead and go to bat for LPs right now at the risk of alienating everyone that I need in order to get my products to market. But the reality is you're right. LPs are shaving pennies everywhere they can, but in a typical product that is purchased in the store, the LPs profits represent a small, small percentage of the overall. Right now, the lion's share of the profits go um, to the retails and the governing uh, and the government bodies that that purchase our products. So it's tough because a lot of these retailers are making up for years of hanging on to property, um, you know, before they could get their license approved, you know, going into, in some cases, two years worth of debt that they need to recoup. Um, again, a lot of this was unnecessary delays uh, in different provinces have different challenges, but it the 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 full the total package is one that is uh fear-based um woefully inefficient uh and one that i believe is to be fair still in the first couple years of what needs to take you know maybe a decade to become what we really want it to be but in the meantime a lot of people are losing their shirts trying to jump through all the hoops in order to get their products to market only to find that the price point that they're forced to take uh, is one that automatically disqualifies them. So th there's a lot of work for everyone to do. Um, and again, not calling anyone out because I realize everyone's got their hard costs. But when you look at the black market, they've got the cost to sell or the cost to grow, sorry. And then, you know, the gas in their car, that's about it. So uh, we've got, you know, excise taxes, provincial taxes, federal taxes, delivery, packaging, which, uh, you know, when you get into the details of some of the needs for packaging, they are they're they're a little ridiculous not not great for the environment and and really not protecting the way that they they say that they are so i, I think generally speaking we just got to get there as a group and i i think we're seeing that evolve in, in in the right way but yeah it's in order to truly block out the black market everyone has to do their part um it would be good to see that happen a little more so in the next few years yeah, you raised uh, an interesting point about education earlier. Um, before taking on this role as the editor of Grow Opportunity, I'm, I'm not part of the cannabis community, so I'm I'm learning as I go. And I remember the first time I went to um, cannabis retail shop. It's it's very hard to get information from just the bud tenders because there's so many things that they can't tell you. And if you're looking for um, for further information to help you decide what to buy it doesn't seem like that's the place where you should go to get that information. So it seems like you have to find it for yourself. What, what do you think, Jonathan? Yeah, you're, you're bang on, Mary Lynn. And, and I think the two kind of things are together when you talk about the education and, and some of the things that Chad mentioned as well too, is that we believe also with Crystal Cured that not everyone has to offer a low price offering. Not everyone has to be premium. And so I think we as an industry need to have a, a collective portfolio that entices people to shop within the legal market. And if that happens to be an LP that's offering value flower, um, some people would get upset about that. I don't. Again, coming from beverage alcohol, used to managing a portfolio across all 
price categories across all customer segments from your value all the way up to your super premium, they all play a role. And to see now that uh, a lot of the boards and a lot of the retailers are, are managing that and using category management principles is, is good for the industry. But maybe that that value bag of, uh, of product from a certain producer brings someone into a legal door that wasn't shopping at a legal door before. I would put my uh, my horse in the race where I bet on the, the retailers, the great retailers, the boards that are doing a good job with what they can in store of migrating that person up into a, a better quality product or to another category because that's what they're trained to do and the education programs that are out there, they're not perfect, no, and they need to continue to get better. That's why I'm glad to see more retailers coming to the game too. You see out, especially in Ontario and Alberta, the number of retailers are coming out, all with different, unique, the same way we as producers have different, unique value propositions, all the retailers do too. So you're gonna start seeing the cream of the crop rise up there. You see a number of the retailers being recognized now amongst the Canadian leaders in retail. I saw that on LinkedIn last week that, that some of them uh, started showing up there, which is an, an amazing accomplishment for some of these stores. But the whole price thing and, and education can go side by side because once you get them into that area where they see that there's more than just cheap weed, as we say, there's a lot more to it, especially on the craft side of things, that's where the small producers are really going to benefit from because those bud tenders that are out there do tend to love those small, unique producers that are doing cool stuff. It's a very unique experience for them to sell to that person, way more consultative. You're telling the story of a, of a smaller producer and, and people that you know, maybe from your community if you're local. So I think they can take that opportunity to educate on things like what craft cannabis is and, and why necessarily THC is not the only factor you should be looking at. And there's a number of other things that go into how it's made. And at Crystal Cure, we try and take our experience from uh, those that worked in beverage alcohol. My formal training is in wine and spirits and wine and spirits education as a sommelier and through the wine and spirits education trust. My whole goal was to educate on wine and spirits to get rid of that stigma pardon the, the shameless plug for for Chad's company, but that whole notion of a stigma needs to go away because if we thought it was in beverage alcohol, that wine is intimidating or there's a lot of choices in the store, wait until you introduce terpenes and cannabinoids and, and you know, not alone these kind of terms like indica sativa. The, the education is absolutely immense because we're also dealing with, again, with a medicine, that medicinal factor, whether you're doing it for adult use or whether you're consuming as a medical patient, that's a whole other area that you need to educate on. So I think the two can be kind of had at the same time and, and need to start happening on a bigger basis than what we're seeing in the industry right now. And there's an economic perspective from that education aspect as well, because like I've seen reports after reports of uh, like consumer reports analysis uh, that uh, consumers are increasingly getting interested in knowing the story behind uh, the product that they purchase, specifically from the sustainability perspective, right? So speaking about craft cannabis and craft producers, you know, they have that story to tell. Recent news about the Ontario Cannabis Store disclosing that in addition to its plan to delist, to delist some of uh, the non-performing products or products that are always out of stock, those types of things. It will also introduce a craft designation in a bid to boost smaller producers. What are your thoughts on that? I love it. Uh, I, th I think I just made this point. Uh, allowing all of the players to come in and those that perform stay and those that don't perform leave is great. Look, I represent a category of concentrates that I think is around 4% of the overall market. And I am regularly told that uh, by those who I try to sell my products to. Uh, but the reality is, if you have the wrong products out, 
then they're not going to sell and it's not going to be an accurate reflection of the potential. Again, we typically look to the black market or to our or their friends again now, I think, to the south um, to see exactly how, you know, those that came before us, where were the trends, uh, where did things lead? And we saw in the first four years in Colorado for concentrates, um, similar for it to go to from 4% um, to close to 40% of their overall market. But again, if you constantly, and I, I've got to be real careful here not to call anyone specifically out, but there has been categories dominated by producers whose products are not the best, but for whatever reason, they were the first ones there. Um, and unfortunately, I feel some consumers and some buyers uh, have been turned off as a result. So I love the fact that we're getting rid of underperformers. I love the fact that there's a category uh, for smaller producers, but I hope that those categories are managed properly because while other provinces have brought in small amounts from craft producers, to my point earlier, they're typically put in a lottery. And I'm not sure how much everyone uh, or your listeners or, or everyone on here understands a lottery, but it basically says, okay, look, if you want, we've got a few cases of this. Um, you know, we've got 100 cases of this, but there's 500 of you that want it. So ask if you want it and we'll pick 100 of you and give it. But the problem is a lot of these stores have a specific budget um, for that week and they don't want empty shelves. So if it's a risk for them to buy something, then they might just ignore it completely. Well, the problem is then you've got just the chains buying these smaller batches. But again, chains typically promote products that they can carry in all their stores, hence the vicious cycle. So I love the concept, but again, concepts only get us in the door. We really need the management of these concepts and, and the practice behind uh, that drive the policies, or sorry, the policy that drives the practice um, to be reminiscent of what customers and, and these businesses need in order to truly succeed. Yeah, very, very well said, uh, Chad, and I agree. It's it's good for the industry. You have to look at it as being good for the industry and, and a rising tide lifts all ships because as someone that has overseen, you know, category management for, for a provincial board for, you know, four plus years in my previous life, I would be a total hypocrite if I sat here and told you that I don't want products to be delisted that weren't selling because I, that was my career uh, before switching to cannabis doing that. So it's good for the category to keep it healthy. The things that move um, need to be on the shelf, which is great. And everything has a, a price. Retail shelves expensive and if we're not doing our job as producers of selling educating the customers to our point earlier and driving traffic into that store or that web store or whatever selling um, medium they have then we're not doing our job as producers and we're just acting entitled so uh, i'm okay with it I, I love to see it and again that's it's formal category management but to chad's point it needs to be enacted it needs to be robotic and we need to have things such as thresholds and, and letting the, the producers know, holding them accountable to say a spot on the shelf will, you know, needs to have this many units per, per quarter or whatever it is with all the parameters. And then we have clear expectations of how to be held to those standards and how to produce. And if we can't, uh, then we uh, are at risk of delist and we have to find other customers. And that's a lot of work for us. So it's, it's a lot of work up front, which is good to deal with the retailers and wholesalers across the country and we support that they're doing this. We're seeing this now in our local markets as well, uh, in Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, we've been talking with them, and Newfoundland and PEI, the same thing, where everyone has too much product and they need to, they only have so many square feet in their shelves and it's going to be for things that move. Uh, but it also 
can't go back on the licensed producer all the time to just simply say, okay, things aren't moving and let's delist it. And because you're only going to be able to write down the amount of inventory that's out there really one time before you really feel that sting again. And for all companies of all sizes, if you're doing any inventory write, down, write downs for stuff that's not selling, whether you're a massive LP or a small micro, you're going to feel the pinch and you're not going to want to do that again. So you're going to work really closely and, and try and do as much as you can to work with these category teams to do it. One of the good things is that special designations such as craft uh, help to kind of put you in a category that you're at least being compared apples to apples. Because if you're trying to compete with the volume of, of something that's a much different price point or a much different product that's more value focused, then no one's going to win and it's unfair and, and we're not going to have effective categories across the country. So I think it's a great first step and, and one of hopefully many more to come. So this is happening in Ontario. Is this a similar trend happening in the other parts of the country, you know, allowing for that uh, trend towards a craft designation in retail shelves? I haven't seen anything uh, out here east yet as far as uh, craft designations or, or small producer uh, things. We see that in beverage alcohol, where there's different tiers of, of producers according to the amount of hectoliters that they produce, et cetera, if you're a beer producer. So we see that. So I'm not quite sure where the boards or, or retailers are going to go in that direction. And it's not that we're necessarily asking for uh, special treatment or anything along those lines. We're just asking to be treated fair, be compared to those that were on a very similar basis to us. And they realize that we're bringing in a different customer into the space, again, that wasn't doing it normally before. We pride ourselves on, we say we grow like the legacy market uh, grows because that's where we come from. That's our heritage. That's where we learned our craft combined with now uh, adding more data, science, everything into it to formalize it into a commercial package. So it's up to us to tell those uh, folks in the various boards and retailers that this is what we can do for you. We can bring an entire new customer, typically one that is, has a higher consumption pattern, as long as we can, to earlier to Chad's point, get that price offering right and ensure we're providing value. Because if not, it's too much to ask the customer to, to put down what they've been doing for the longest time, uh, not be sure about quality, go into a very different retail experience, and then pay twice the amount of money. Uh, no customer is going to do that. It's not reasonable. So we need to hold our end of the bargain too. Um, so this kind of gets, that gets it started in this way, but we haven't seen, Chad has probably seen more of that happening out uh, West than we have. Yeah. Are you seeing that in the West Coast, Chad? I mean, I'd like to say yes. Um, I'll, I'll be honest with you. The way that the pricing and the processes go right now, uh, I, do, I speak with a lot of the smaller producers looking to get their products to market. And uh, it's challenging. The, like I said, there is a real race to the bottom um, on a lot of uh, products right now, including you know pre-rolls and dry flour. I, I was in a store the other day and saw an ounce of of like 18% cannabis for cheaper than I ever saw it uh, in the black market. So I, th I think the price point is is keeping a few people. I have seen some craft collectives pop up, um, you know, companies that either work together uh, to share licenses or share resources uh, or connections in order to get to market. Um, I'd say that's one of the best things you can do in this industry is know everybody and, and not have a lot of bridges. Um, and that is a way for some people to, um, to get to market. But yeah, I'm seeing a, a, I'm seeing a trend towards welcoming them, but I'm still waiting to see the trend towards catering to them. I want to talk about uh, 2.0 products now and the opportunities for 
craft producers to play in that marketplace. Chad, in your processing business, I guess you you work with some of these craft producers. Can you talk about some of those opportunities for them um, to effectively compete in the 2.0 space? For sure. Well, the beauty of the 2.0 space is just how many different products we can make. So I got to try to limit this to a few minutes because as I mentioned earlier, I could talk all day about uh, cannabis 2.0, but here's the unique opportunities for um, craft producers, specifically the butane hydrocarbon extracts that we do. We maintain the profiles of the original strains. So while CO2 extractors might strip out a few of the more popular uh, and you know maybe add some terpenes or that, we deal in live resins. So we can actually give you a jar of something that is you know 20 grams of your finest bud uh, concentrated into just the goodness. No, no organic plant matter, just, you know, the terpenes, the cannabinoids, the flavonoids. Um, that is something that a, a craft producer would truly appreciate. And when it comes to the retail experience, really offers that kid in the candy store type experience or the Baskin and Robbins 21 flavors. While you can pump out hash, you know, vanilla ice cream all day, uh, to be able to look at you know eight different hashes and see the unique qualities of each one and pick the one that you truly like just based on you know flavors and that not to mention how the cannabinoids interact with you personally man i see that as as being the the perfect situation so uh, the math producers they're able to do that but it's on such a large scale that you, you lose a lot of the the intricate nature uh, and again that craft or that that artistry in the product so i've really liked seeing i've seen some great products come uh, solventless which is you know a lot cheaper able to do i've seen some great products come out of that um, and like i said we've created for you know some of the biggest brands um, across canada uh, everything from shatter to caviar um, to live resin carts and butters and batters and sugars and crumbles so um, in the 2.0 space, it's limitless. And as long as, again, we can figure out the relationship to get those small batches into, you know, be it unique stores or an opportunity for people to buy it without the risk, um, I think that it, it that's, that is the direction that 2.0 needs to go. Small batch, super specific flavors and experiences, and, and you go seek out that what you like. Mm-hmm. And Jonathan, what's Crystal Cure's strategy towards uh, 2.0? Yeah, so we have that in our plan for right now. We're in phase zero, as we call of our business, but in phase one, where we have our, our facility, it includes, you know, over half of that is going to be the equipment for whether it's indoor grow, um, but mostly for processing, using that part of our license, similar to what the folks at Stigma Grow are, are doing. But I agree with that. The opportunity in 2.0 is immense for small producers. We've got some eyes on things like topicals, et cetera, that again, we'll do them if it makes sense for our business and it stays close enough to our value proposition that again, if we're focused on on this whole wellness and holistic side of things, it, it definitely aligns up well. And that to me, if I'm talking about value flower attracting a new uh, customer into the legal market what about something completely different like the whole 2.0 spectrum which is a whole range of customers that maybe and most likely have never played with uh, you know around with cannabis before experimented with it used it as a as a recreational substance or, or a medicine anything like that and it puts it into a usable form whether it's topicals oils and then for the the more craft savvy you know producers that can go after that high consumption market again with the cannabis enthusiasts etc 
than, than these products that Chad named off are all right in that kind of alley for commanding a premium price and also providing a great high quality product that the customers can really appreciate. And it gives them an alternative to, to flour necessarily too. So it's, it's making the, the playing field even so that customers have even more choice to be able to say, I want cannabis to be part of my lifestyle. I just maybe don't necessarily want to go for flour or I don't want to have to do this. Well, you can do that. And that even includes things as, you know, talking about pet balms and, and, and cream, CBD creams for pets feet. And, you know, more people are brought into the space, which gives more opportunity for us to market to for more potential customers uh, for the licensed producers across the country. So great all around. We love it. Yeah, that's really a good point. I can see why Chad is very excited with 2.0, because it really opens up a whole new consumer market. Cannabis became legalized and, and you know, a lot more popular in the mainstream at the same time when smoking is on its way out. So, you know, just as a rule, a, a cigarette is nothing to compare to cannabis smoking, but you got to find that middle ground of, okay, uh, a lot of adults are being introduced to cannabis for the first time or we're aware of it, but are only considering it now that it's legal, but they're never going to come around on inhaling smoke. Mm-hmm. But there's so much value that comes from cannabis that can be, to Jonathan's point, put in lotions or put in sprays. Uh, me personally, I'm a parent. So while I certainly enjoy smoking joints as well, um, the discretion that can come with 2.0 makes it a lot more appealing to a mainstream um, adult uh uh, demographic that over the last 20 years has had the harmful effects of smoke driven into them uh, everywhere that they've looked and now are being asked to to um, consider something that's tied to, to a negative uh, as well. So we would hate for anyone to feel that cannabis um, can't be used and you can't get the benefits from a human standpoint from it without anything that you perceive as negative. And Jonathan, I'm really walking a fine line here. We, I, I smoke cannabis all the time um, responsibly, and I think that it's definitely got a place as part of a healthy lifestyle. But I, I think you see what I'm getting at. No, I, I totally do, uh, Chad. It's, you know, it's it's up to the customer to decide too. But I think op- offering options that are smokeless, et cetera, it, it, to me, it's all good, and all it does is raise the the tide across the across the whole industry. So no, I I completely agree with you, man, and I think it's great. I agree as well. Uh, you know, I'm I'm that part of the consumer segment where. I don't smoke, but I'm really interested to see what other types of products I can find. So, um, you know, the, specifically the topicals, but but the availability right now, you know, Cannabis 2.0 has been in effect for over a year, but the products are not there. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see what products are going to be there. It, it's it's uh, The potential is interesting. It's exciting to see what's going to come out. Agreed, especially in the topicals. Um, you're yeah. right. That's been, you know, beverages were kind of stalled out. I think edibles were just starting to scratch, you know, on gummies and we're starting to see some chocolates and some other things. Um, it, it is exciting what's coming in the new. I, I should mention uh, Stigma Grow. We actually have a pillar of our business called Stigma Roots, where we use the roots of the cannabis plant uh, and we've made a topical. Now, it's not actually regulated by by the, the regulatory bodies for cannabis because the roots have actually been used um, for generations, uh, you know, centuries, uh, way back to ancient uh, Asian type treatments. So um, there, there are some out there, but to your point, can't advertise them very easily, can't get the information about where to purchase them unless someone really takes the time to seek them out. Uh, it's tough to find. So even when they come to market, 
my hope is that it's it's made available and the information about where to get them and why you should use them is made available to consumers like yourself. So where do we get this stigma roots? <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> well, I will send you a link, but you can always go to yes. stigmaroots.ca. That'd be great. Because yeah, I, I am relieved because I, you know, I'm I'm not getting younger. I have pains and aches and stuff like that. So but it would be nice to see a lot more options and a lot more variety. So agreed. So we talked about some of the regulations. Is there anything else that you can add um, that you uh, want to see the regulations in terms of uh, how the regulations can evolve to further progress the industry, particularly for the cat for the craft sector? Yeah, there's there's a number of them. And first of all, I, I love the fact that Health Canada is going out and doing this consultation, especially with aimed towards the smaller producers, the micro producers, craft. Uh, because they are the ones that are really close to close to the industry, close to those rising trends that are coming around. And and I think because Health Canada does see the rise in the number of these producers, when you look at the number of new license, uh, successful licensees that come across every week from various emails, uh, micros are starting to pop up more. And we're seeing a slowing down now, I think a stabilization, but there's still um, more and more, which is which is great to see. There's a couple that we have been um, vocal about at Crystal Cure that, that pertain to what we do, and it's different. Where one is, uh, I'd like some a little bit more education for the customer, and whatever that is, we're happy to do it. But more clarity on the labeling process, especially with uh, with dried flour. I I put up a post on LinkedIn with a, a picture of our new concept for our packaging using our our beautiful Pantone gold and and all this stuff. But the whole conversation was around the fact that you know what's the difference between THC and, and THC total and, and now it's in milligrams per gram and I can understand why that thing was made but you know we had the language before around percentage and it's very confusing and we're hearing directly from consumers and, and one of the things about being a small craft producer in a startup when you're the COO you're also the head of marketing the head of social media and uh, head of customer complaints and feedback so I'm I'm getting the chance to go back to my roots and, and hear directly from customers again which is awesome uh, but I'm hearing that there's a lot of confusion and if we don't even know how to tell the, the strength or the other features of products such as the terpenes, et cetera, um, how are we really going to get down a path where we have an educated customer? So we'd like to see um, a little bit more flexibility and the ability to, to include more on the label that along those marketing lines that helps to uh, let the customer know that there's more to THC and what those numbers mean, and, and that's a big one. The other one that has really, really baffled me coming from beverage alcohol is this inability without a full research and development license to be able to test your product along the life cycle of it while it's being made and while it's being dried, cured, et cetera. Every single winemaker, um, spirits maker, he or she tastes that product uh, a thousand times across its life cycle. There's not a chef in the world that doesn't taste their hollandaise sauce before it goes out. And yet we're here and without a specific license, you can't even try it to see. And there's more to a product that we make, uh, same thing as Sigma Grow, than what's listed on a certificate of analysis. And yes, that's great. It shows it's a, an approved product to sell and, and what your terpene levels are is very important. We focus on that. We talk about our, our THC and CBD and CB, uh, CBGN and every name that's going to come out over the next number of years. But there's more to it. There is a, a smokeability. There's a quality factor. And if we're going to charge a premium price because our production is small and our quality, as we say, is high, we need the ability to objectively compare that using you know, sensory evaluations and these things that we're trained in to do to be able to bring a better product to market to ensure it, it meets our quality standards and that we're charging a fair price for what we bring. So those are a couple that we focus on many, but I'm glad to see so much consultation with the industry before they make any monumental changes. And I'm sure it's the same for the folks out West. Jonathan, that 
your second first point was good too but your second point about actually needing an R&D license and just for your listeners that that are not aware it is this strict if i make shatter at no point in time can i test it as somebody that has made it until it shows up in a retail store and i purchase it think about that imagine mm-hmm. if the same applied to hollandaise sauce for jonathan's or to <laughs> Um, it is ridiculous in that in that sense, and and I'm, I don't mind using that word for that. Uh, I would also like to add, um, what happens on social media uh, behind an age gate, specifically if you've got a private page, uh, or if you're just adults talking about adult things that that are legal. Um, it's it's really quite stringent. Uh, social media, you know, the the size of your logo on the flag in the parking lot. Um, stuff like that, where you know, good tax dollars are going towards people coming out to measure this stuff. When forest for the trees, I, I think we've kind of missed the point. Nobody's really safe at that point. Um, uh, you know, fra- and and what happens behind the doors of a of a store? Uh, I I think we just uh, we got it turned around that you don't need frosted glass anymore. Um, and you know, people are of mixed opinion, but we did have uh, people warning. The provincial bodies that if you frosted glass that people would be able to come in lock the door and rob you and no one would be able to see that um and they kind of weighed the the pros and cons of that and then went with the frosted glass and we saw multiple cases of that happening so mm-hmm. you know and and even now you walk in a liquor store you can learn anything you can sample uh liquor in there but you can certainly see advertisements and understand the differences we're still very very restricted of what an adult is allowed to tell an adult after they've been ID'd in a store. So those are some regulations that they just don't really make sense. And again, my point earlier in the podcast are, are fear driven, um, but really those fears are a stigma and it would be really nice and it, it, to, to echo the point of seeing Health Canada reaching out to people um, to see what they think. We need more people making the laws that truly understand the day-to-day operation, challenges, opportunities, restrictions, um, and are looking in the best interest of the industry, not just looking to lock down. If we don't do anything, nothing bad will happen. Um, so, yeah, that's a kind of a harsh general statement, but I think it, it's prudent. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a really good point, I think, uh, especially with, uh, with the whole point of really, you know, it's a legal market and it's, we're trying to eliminate the stigma. And it's all done in the name of safety. And I am not anti-safety. At no point in time, I think, has I heard anyone in the industry speak out against anything that truly is safe. Um, but a lot of these are kind of knee-jerk reactions or overkill. Uh, and again, it's like burying your head instead of trying to find a, a really true solution that'll that'll suit everybody. So, yeah, but I appreciate you saying that. And stigma, stigma, don't say. Yeah, <laughs> stigma, <laughs> I think we've, it was a, such a great discussion. The, the, is there anything else you want to add? For, for me, I think we covered a lot of topics too, and it just shows that we, we barely even scratched the surface on, on what craft cannabis is, even around a definition. But the big thing for us is for customers are, are going to have to do a little bit more of their own research to your point earlier, Mary Lynn, with this industry and, you know, with the marketing regulations we have and, and the amount of still the stigma, again, another shameless plug for our friends out West Thank around you. this industry is that we we need to keep going, we need to keep pushing on it, focusing on on quality and, and really putting our unique offering out there and telling your story and and not just simply jumping in. This is not the industry to jump into if you, you want to make a quick buck. I'll tell you, I'll tell you that and there'll be probably hundreds and, and thousands of people across the country that would agree. 
But if you're jumping in for the right reasons with a unique value proposition, with a profitable business plan that you can really make a difference here, uh, that can be done at the micro and craft level. And it's going to take a, a revolution of uh, producers across the country um, when you look at it, because I, I saw a stat from the BC Craft Co-op last week, or I think earlier on their, on their Instagram, saying that craft and small producers represent 1% of the total square meterage of, of grow space across Canada. And 1% is, is amazing, but uh, it needs to be a lot more. And that will slowly grow. We saw that in beverage alcohol with beer. It was exponential growth here in New Brunswick year after year, 1%, 2, 4, 8, 16. That will happen only if customers see the reason um, for to switching to craft. And if we continue to lobby for good regulations uh, and to see lots of positive change in the industry and continue to, com to compete on quality and unique products, whether it's in cannabis 1.0, 2.0, 3, or whatever to come, uh, craft, I think, is here to stay. And, and anyone that disagrees with that, I don't think knows the, the industry uh, as well as they think. Uh, I could be wrong on that one, too. But again, I said on LinkedIn the other day, I'd rather go with the the whole collective power of, uh, of all the small producers uh, any day of the week. Is there an association or organization national for craft producers? Not that I know of. Um, out east, I know we have a few of the regional uh, areas together. We were trying to form, uh, someone contacted us about the New Brunswick uh, Craft Cannabis Association and, and similar ones to that, but I haven't heard of any national uh, organizations from, from our end again. My last words are to Ontario. We really look forward to getting our products uh, into the OCS. You're the last major market that we've yet to get into, um, but are very close. So if you are looking for a wide variety of live resin products, we're coming. That's great. Thank you guys, Jonathan and Chad, for such a lively, engaging, and really informative discussion. I hope our listeners have learned a lot. If our listeners want to get in touch with you, I guess they just go to the website for Crystal Cure and Sigma Grow, right? And it's on Instagram too. Uh, we're behind uh, an age gate. Uh, Chad has alluded to some of that before. And uh, so yeah, at Crystal Cure CA is our, our Facebook and our Instagram. You can find us and we're very active on LinkedIn as well. We love the LinkedIn community for the great cannabis discussions that are being had and we're, we're putting in a lot of content there. If not, crystalcure.ca. And uh, I absolutely love the Stigma Grow website. And uh, if you see anything similar popping up on Crystal Cure in the near future, it's, it's purely a coincidence. So same, same for us. We're across all of the social medias. Um, Jonathan, I read your post this morning, actually, about the difference of THC and uh, total cannabinoids and that. So uh, a shame that you have to shoulder the educational load on that one. But it is it was a good read. Uh, we're also at stigmagrow.ca. You can pretty much find us uh, at a handle at Stigma Grow anywhere you go. Perfect. All right. Thanks again, guys, and uh, have a good day. Okay. Thank thanks, Marilyn. This podcast is brought to you by Emerald Harvest, premium hydroponic nutrients for simple, easy success. Join us again next time for another engaging discussion. For the latest news and information impacting the Canadian cannabis industry, visit growopportunity.ca. Until next time.